Hey, and welcome to MPHX Church Online. We're so glad to have you checking out our latest message as we talk about community. Be sure to check us out online at mphx.org to get plugged in or to watch other messages. We hope you enjoy the service. How many of you guys in this room uh, have been at the church longer than six years? Longer than six years. There's about a hundred of you. That is awesome. That's awesome. You would agree, for those who raised your hands, on this next statement. Many of you who raised your hands, I saw your face, and you've been part of this church for 15, 20, 30 years, and so forth. You would agree that God has created us for community. You would agree that the creative, those who raised your hands, been part of this church 15, 20 years, and I see, saw your faces, probably every single one of you raised your hand, are part of the community. It's what kept you here 15, 20 years when things in the church were challenging, things outside the church were challenging. You had people to link arms with. No doubt in my mind, and the Bible tells us so, that God has created us for biblical community. God has designed us for community. If you want me to even um, make that case in point even more so, uh, the last two years when, when, when COVID hit, what you see happen is um, all of a sudden the world shuts down, right? Which right, it had to. So the, the world shuts down. And what we see is we no longer, um, for the most part, are meeting in person. And God has com- created us for a community. And, and so then that community was broken and distorted Um, And so what you see now is when you go outside of God's design, watch this, the numbers during COVID, the numbers of anxiety, of depression, um, of isolation, of suicide and suicide attempt skyrocketed. The result of us living in isolation, um, going outside of God's design, outside his design of a biblical community, You go outside of God's design, and the result that you get is what we got. All throughout Scripture, and even today, any time we go outside of God's design, bad things happen. And since the beginning of time, by the way, um, Satan has always attempted to distort what God has created. Satan has always attempted to distort what God has created. Satan has always attempted to distort what God has created. Marriage and the family unit, he will try to distort it. Unity amongst diversity, he will try to distort it. Created in the image of God, he will try to distort it. Your family, he will try to break it. Your view of him, he will distort it. Your view of yourself, he will distort it. He's always been doing this. He's always been trying to break what God has created. We are firm because the Bible tells us so that um, God will use biblical community to restore and redeem what the enemy has stolen. You hear that? God will use biblical community to redeem and restore what the enemy has stolen. God uses biblical community to be an expression and reflection of himself to a world that desperately needs to be redeemed. He wants to use you. 
He wants to use broken people to reach broken people to come together around the table and meet a holy and wonderful God and be set free. That's, that's what he is doing. He is redeeming a broken world through broken people. If you're here today and you're like, man, I am broken, I am jacked up, don't even know how I'm here today, good news, you are the perfect candidate for a holy God to use. Because when he uses broken people to reach broken people, only he can get the credit, not the broken people. So what he's been doing all throughout scripture, he's been using broken people in the biblical community to be an expression of his love. I am not a pastor because I have it all together. I am a pastor because I recognize my brokenness and met his holiness and he restored me, redeemed me, put me back on my feet on solid ground. Now I'm like Jeremiah. His scripture is like fire shot up in my bones and I can't help but preach him and tell of his goodness. So when you think of the church, when you think of community, what God creates, the enemy will always try to distort. And my urge to you, and and here's what I believe, when, when you are in a biblical community, you see God do miraculous, unbelievable things in the biblical community. It's his design to so to 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 go outside of his design of biblical community is to forfeit spiritual depth. See, many of you in here are hungry for God. You're hungry. I don't doubt that you're hungry and you're starving and you don't know what to do. Um, I want to help you to understand that sometimes um, it's, 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 we may be sitting at the wrong table eating the wrong food. Right? And, and, and you're like, I don't understand, though, Pastor, because um, I'm on social media and I hear all these sermon clips every day. And, man, there are wonderful sermons out there. Let me share with you what happens when your spiritual depth and walk is dependent off of somebody else's dinner with God. It means you are eating the crumbs off their table from them dining with God and expecting you to be filled up off of somebody else's crumbs. When you have the creator inviting you to dine so he can fill you up so you don't have to depend on a social media clip to make you feel like you are creating his image. But instead, you get to sit with the creator of the universe who's saying, dine with me and put the crumbs down and I will show you who you are and how I want to use you. I will do something mighty in your life, but put the crumbs down. I took two weeks off and I'm ready. I need to take a little more vacation. I need to take more vacation if I'm going to be this energetic coming back. I got to dine with God. He's created us for community. I'm going to prove it to you. Then we're going to sit on a text because here's what I'm going to do. No secret. I want to urge and plead with you by the end of this sermon, beg you to be part of God's biblical community. If you leave here and you forfeit, see, you may say, I'm part of a community. Now, there's a difference between a community and a biblical community. There's a big difference. So I want to urge you through his scripture and through his word, and I plead with you um, to, to see what God desires for us through a biblical community and what he can do when we actually get in one. A lot of, a lot of us want sanctification. You want to be sanctified. You want to look like him, but you're not willing to sacrifice like him. Oh, I want to look like you, but I'm not willing to sacrifice like you. If you can work within my comfort zone and my box, then I will do whatever you want me to do. If you call me outside of that to depend on you, then you're tripping. 
You know, you know what faith is? It's like, here's my box. Here's what I have control of. And this is me. This is not faith. This is, um, this is American Christianity filled with comfort. And we're in control. We're in chasing the American dream. And, 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 and then God's dream, God's call in our life doesn't matter if it doesn't match up to what we thought we we're supposed to have. So when you step out of the box of comfort and say, God, here I am in faith, you don't know what he's going to do. And it's scary because it's faith. This is where you grow. This may be where you're planted. But this is where you grow. You may be planted right here for this season in, in Phoenix, Arizona, for this season of your life. You may be planted right here, but when you take a step of faith, this is where you grow. Yeah, like, what do you mean? Do I got to move? No, because you could actually do this. You can say, I'm planted here, but I'm going to take a step of faith here, and I'm going to grow right here, right where I'm at. I'm going to blossom where I'm planted. Part of that's part of the biblical community. The first biblical community you see in Genesis chapter 1, um, God, before anything was created, he was created. Um, God, three in one, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as you break down the Trinity, it's a much larger complex um, thing to discuss. When you break down the, the Trinity, uh, what you see is God, three in one, working um, together. Right? There's the first community, um, all God, interpersonal relationship, working together. How do we know that is true? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. You don't have to follow me because I'm about to spit out like six passages. Just listen because I'm going to prove a point with Scripture. I'm going to use Scripture to prove a point today. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Then God said, let, let us make man in our image. Okay? If it was God before anything was created... Who was God talking about? Um, who was he talking about? He said, let us make men in our image. There's somebody else must have been present. Some scholars would say this must have been uh, the, the, the heavenly host of angels. No. Um, when you dig a little deeper, you will see um, that this is the triune God um, in community saying, let us make men in our image and in our likeness. God created, right? He was in a community. And remember, God three in one. They're not separate gods. There's one God and an interpersonal relationship working together, community. They created man, okay? God's design. Here it goes. You ready? God's design. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, right? So here you go, God's design, right out of the Bible. Here he begins to create. He begins to, to, to do what he does, his design. He didn't want man to be alone. Genesis 2, then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So when he created Eve, he didn't create her with lesser value. Anything created by God does not have lesser value than something else created by God. So when he created a woman, she was not lesser than the man. Different functions, different whatever Equal power. Okay? Equal power. It's how, why? Because, well, the power is uh, not in what they do, but it's in who they are. Who are they? They're image bearers. There is power in being an image bearer. And nothing to do with their giftings. And they were in his likeness and in his image. That's where the power was. Created community. It's not good to be isolated and alone. So he created male and female. You now have this community working together. And then he goes to Proverbs 27, 17. Okay? And you can, I'm sure you can find many more scriptures. He says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. What does this mean? It means that we're imperfect, broken people because of sin. We don't have it together. Amen? There are three of you that believe that. I'm going to need you to give me. <laughs> Let me ask your spouse. Do they, do they have it together? No, I'm joking. 
we, we, we don't have it together. We're imperfect. We're, we're in a state of redemption, of being restored, of being sanctified back to his full likeness. We are, um, we are uh, complete and yet, yet not complete, okay? We are whole yet not whole. And so this is a lifelong thing here. And so, and so he uses other people in a biblical community to sanctify and to sharpen us. Not to shame us when we fall, but to sharpen and sanctify us, okay? And then, so you go to Proverbs 27, 17, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. A very clear, God is saying, here is my design that you don't walk alone. In fact, I will tell you, Scripture says, if they fall, uh, I'm sure we can find other, other examples, but really it's when we fall. When we fall, you know how nice it is. Oh my gosh, you know how freeing it is that when you fall, there's accountability, but there's also you're met with grace and not shame. Like some of us have those relationships, and maybe some of you are this way, that when someone falls, you're a gotcha person. You love for people to fail because you love to call them out because it really, it's a, it's a deflection off your junk. And so when people fall, it's like you're, you like have a radar trying to see who's going to fall so you can call them out. And, and then you, you forget to see the log that's in your own eye. And so scripture's saying, like, no, no, it shouldn't be that way. It should be like when you fall, no matter what it is, like your brother or sister in Christ, like, got your back, they're right there for you, no matter what it is. So this is this biblical community, sanctification, redemption, restoration. And in Hebrews 10, uh, proving the case of community, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. And so here's what was going on during this time. Um, when there was a Cardinals game on a Sunday morning, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. For some reason, they would, they would neglect to meet together. God wanted to and then was doing a work amongst the biblical community, but there were some times where they were neglecting to meet together. For whatever reason, they found that they had their heart's devotion to something else going on. And so in Hebrews, they're being called out. They're saying, don't neglect meeting together as in the habit of some, right? So, so they've gotten the habit, right? And so here's what I would say. Here's what I've recognized, and this is not a shaming statement at all, but I've recognized that sometimes um, we stop coming to church, maybe because of health, I totally get that. I told like the last two weeks um, I was sick and I, then I, two weeks ago I was sick and then I got better. And then so I get it. I, I didn't, wasn't here preaching. So I'm, this is not shame statement, but sometimes it's health. And sometimes it's just plain habit. Sometimes we don't come to church because of health. Sometimes it's plain habit. Like let's not, let's not lie. I mean, during COVID, uh, it was pretty awesome to sit on the couch for those of you who still watched us and watch sermon and have a little Starbucks and just relax and chill, right? It was awesome. You know how awesome it was not to have to get four kids ready for church? Awesome. Not have to do my hair? It was awesome. It was amazing. And let me give you a little secret. What I would do, um, I typically don't spend Sunday mornings with my family. So I'm at the church at four in the morning. Then my family comes about eight. And so, like, my, my wife's a single mom every Sunday, getting the kids ready. And so, but it was awesome because I would record my sermons on Thursday. And you would, we would watch it on Sunday. But I had ten toes up, like, relaxing. 
And it was so much fun. Like, I get it. And, but that was habit. There's nothing that can replace the sound of hundreds of people from all walks of life, from all generations, from all different sinful struggles. Nothing can replace being together and singing. When we all get to heaven, I forgot the rest of the words. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? When we all see Jesus. Y'all supposed to put it up for me down here so I can. But you get it, right? You can't get that through a YouTube. You can't get that through Zoom. Being together, united by the blood of Jesus Christ and singing to our creator, you cannot replace that. And so some of them got out of the habit and, and God does a mist and a mighty work in the midst of them and he was encouraging them, don't stop meeting together and all the more as you see the day drawing near, meaning the end times are coming, come together and link arms. And, and throughout the, listen, through Revelation on, you see community, 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 community. But the enemy will always try to distort what God has designed. So right after God created community, Genesis 2, verse 18, it's not good for man and woman to be alone. Let's come together, creates community, Genesis 3. Satan does what Satan loves to do. Once God has spoken and once God has created, the enemy will come in and try to distort what God has spoken and what God has created. In your life, when God has called you to something, you know God has called you, be ready because the enemy is going to come in and whisper and make you doubt the call of God on your life. He's always going to do it. You're going to say, I do at the altar, and you might end up five years, 10 years, 30 years later saying, oh, was I supposed to say I do? You went to school for something, and then you got the job. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure. This is what I wanted. You have to hang on to what God has said because the enemy will always try to distort God's design. Genesis 3 comes in and distorts God's design. God's design and community will always be distorted through pride, insecurity, feeling like a lack of insignificance, jealousy, envy. Think about your relationships. Yes, they may have been broken because of something else, but if you peel back the layers, you're going to find back that it's going to be led to insecurity, jealousy, envy, Pride, that's the root, pride. Pride broke relationships. Eve knew what she wasn't supposed to do, but it was curiosity and pride. She thought she knew better. That's what sin is. We go our way because we think we know better. From Genesis 3, sin creeps in. From there on, relationships are distorted and broken. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel, jealousy. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, pride, destroyed. Genesis 12, Abraham and Sarah. I wish Abraham would have had some homeboys to come around him and say, look, bro, I know you're going to sleep with your maidservant to have a kid and this is your wife. It's not a good idea. Somebody didn't speak into his life and he got tired of waiting on God and he, he took his maidservant and he and his wife talked about it and he took his maidservant 
They had a child out of disobedience, um, but thank God that he is still faithful to his word. So he brought Isaac, the original child he had planned. Um, But let me tell you what happened because of the disobedience. uh, Isaac um, comes the lineage of Jesus Christ, Christianity, but because they were impatient, wanted to do it their own way, pride. They had Ishmael. Through the lineage of Ishmael comes Islam. Satan will always try to distort what God has designed. You get the picture. So, so then it, it goes on. It doesn't stop there. You get Genesis 13. You get Genesis 25. You get Genesis 37 because God has his call on Joseph. His brothers became jealous of him, tried to kill him. You know what I absolutely love is that we will experience hardships and oppression from other people. But you know what I absolutely love? That God will always keep his word and he will even use our oppressors and our enemies to accomplish his will. Woo! In fact, while we thought the, the enemies and our oppressors were actually a detour and weren't supposed to be part of the plan, what you didn't know was that the enemies and oppressors will push you to fulfill God's plan for your life. See, everybody wants the rose without the thorn. Everybody wants the destination. Think about what you're asking and wanting from God. And you believe he has spoken to your life. And you see the end destination as did Joseph. And you're going to experience a bunch of junk, but you know God said this, and you're going to experience a whole bunch of stuff. And he's like, God, it's a, you said it, man. I don't see it, but you said it. And, and like life begins to get to the pit where it's like there's no way God is going to come through. There's no way. And then God begins to bring people in and just hurt him and betray him. And they're jealous of him. They're trying to kill him. And there's injustice. There's all kinds of stuff. And what what nobody else knew, what we get to see, um, there's a chapter 37, beginning of Joseph's life. We get to fast forward and see chapter 50. Like everything's going to be all right. So what I would tell you today is you may be on your chapter 37. You know what God has said or you know who you are in Christ, but life doesn't look like it. Let me just tell you, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, either here or and in heaven, you will experience a chapter 50. What is that? Victory. For believers in Jesus Christ, uh, we don't fight for victory. We fight to victory. So it may be your chapter 37 today, but we're fighting to chapter 50. It's already done. And that's only because of what Christ has done on the cross. And I am not saying your dreams are going to come true today. I don't know that. But I am saying there's victory in Jesus Christ. And so he didn't know. It's like, yeah, you said, you said this is going to happen. It's like when God called me to be a pastor. Like if, if, if I would have been a pastor when he called me at the age of 25, I would have jacked up a lot of people. Because I wasn't ready. I thought I was. And everyone who told me I wasn't, I thought they were just being haters. And and I I think, I think, this is going to be an arrogant statement. I know, but I'm just being transparent. I think I saw myself in uh, 25 years old and was like, but I got giftedness. I got giftedness, God. Come on, use me. But I didn't have brokenness. And what God began to do is he, he gave me the call and I saw my giftedness and all of a sudden he started to break me, he started to break me. And then I, I saw this brokenness coupled with giftedness. And what I didn't know at that time is that if there's giftedness without brokenness, and then I'll doubt how much there will be usefulness. But when you couple giftedness with brokenness, then there's usefulness for his kingdom and for his glory. 
And so sometimes, like, it's not that Jesus not, has his call on your life, but it's maybe you're not broken enough. Maybe you're way too raw to come out of that oven. And if you came out too early, you get a lot of people sick. Just stay in the oven. He'll tell you when it's ready. He'll tell you when it's time. Be, be, be so broken that when he begins to use you, you not dare take any credit or glory for it because you know you are nothing but a sinner. You are nothing but a beggar in need of grace and mercy. And when the holy God and holy father begins to use you in a powerful way, you won't dare be a glory thief. No matter how big or how awesome you get, you will never dare steal his glory because you will never forget you are a beggar at the seat of a king's table and he decided to invite you to sit down and eat of the nice dining meal that he had together. What did you do? Nothing. Because of what his son did, he said, stop eating those crumbs and come on and dine with me and your life will be changed. What did you do? Nothing. It's what Jesus did. Be broken. Oh, church, be broken. Be broken. And so Joseph was broken, began to get used, and just offered grace. And you see this over in Saul and David and jealousy. Bless you. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, it's okay. You know what? It's okay. It's okay. It's totally okay. I just, I just didn't know you were going to start like confessing sin. I was like, I'm like, I was ready. I was going to receive you with grace and mercy. A little caught off guard. That was it. Um, so. What God has designed. The enemy will always try to distort. Acts chapter 2 we see what seems to be the first New Testament church. And this is the kind of church I want to be. Acts chapter two, grab your Bibles. We're gonna gonna break this down. And I'm gonna get you out before the Cardinals play the Seahawks. (laughs) And you need to go sit back there, bro. You got the wrong, you got the wrong thing on. We're gonna pray for you. You need to be sanctified and all kinds of stuff. So. Or crucified, but so the first church, the first church comes together. And let me just tell you, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you some context. This is the first, like they knew nothing. They didn't know uh, the rules of the church. They didn't know that they couldn't wear torn jeans. They didn't know that they couldn't have flavor. They didn't know anything, okay? Um, they would listen to Little Wayne on Saturday and come to church on Sunday. They just didn't know what was going on at this time. Little boozy, they were listening to all of these people, but but they were hungry for God, and they just didn't, they didn't know anything, right? They're just like, man, um, God just forgave me of my sin, and I'm hungry. I want more. I've tasted of his goodness, and it's given me an appetite to want more of him. So listen to what they did. They, they, they took... Um, 3,000 people who had just got saved and they're trying to figure out how do we help serve everybody. By the way, interesting enough, um, our church is about 3,000 people. So, so I use this model in our church to try to help. It's a bold step 
uh, bold step number three, to help engage and equip everybody so that we can get deeper in our walk with Christ. And so here they are, they're hungry, and look at what they did. This is the first church, the first small group, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So, and they devoted. Let me stop on this word right here. This word devoted, when you break it down in the Greek, it means that um, there was the steadfastness that they had their eyes set on the goal, and while there was cultural distractions, they kept the main thing, the main thing, which was Jesus. That they were so hungry for Jesus that no matter what happened in the world, and they saw the brokenness. In fact, the brokenness in the world helped them to understand how much they needed Jesus. And so what, what, these, what they did is here, here they are. Keep in mind, this was during a time where people came from all different parts of con- the countries and all different regions. They came together during a festival. The Holy Spirit hit. This is called the Pentecost. 3,000 people get saved. They don't go back to where they live. They stay there together. So people have different languages now. So pretend someone came here at North Phoenix Baptist Church from several different countries. We all met together, preached Jesus. People get saved, and they're saying, I'm staying right here. I'm not going back home like I tasted of him and I this is what I want I was lost now I'm found I was hopeless now I have hope I was broken now I'm being restored I don't want to remove myself from his presence this is the kind of devotion they had right so this was not like a today it's so easy and I'm here I'm not shaming but it's so easy not to have devotion for the church today and, and, and I always ask myself, like, if Jesus is real and he's really coming back, man, why are we just going all out so that when he comes, he is pleased with the way we've been living? Instead, we take it as cheap grace and think, I can live how I want because he loves me and it doesn't really matter. It matters. And what, what I always thought was, like, how do we pray for the church to have a devotion for Jesus? How do we pray? Here's what I realized. The people of God don't have a devotion problem because I've seen them at sporting events. The people of God have a problem of where they're placing their devotion. That's the issue today. It's not a problem with devotion. It's misplaced devotion. They didn't, they didn't have that back then. They didn't have that. They, they were just like, I tasted of Jesus, and this is what I want. I'm not going to complain about that. No, I want Jesus. The world is jacked up. I want Jesus. Um, my little boy, he's four, and uh, I, I take him to school, uh, to school in the morning quite often, and he jumps in the back, and uh, we put on Justin Bieber. Um, <laughs> gospel album um be very clear save the emails it's the christian version stuff and uh you know he's back there i got my peaches out in Georgia. no he ain't singing that but <laughs> he's not he's not singing that one he's not he's singing the the christian stuff um and um so when I'm, I'm driving, it's the cutest thing. Like, I'm serious. It, it, it's pretty neat. I'm being silly, but we do try to infuse them with just gospel true lyrics. And I use Bieber as a joke, but, but uh, you know, we do do that. And um, it's cool to look back, and he's bobbing his head. Buckled up, just swagged out. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm telling, if I could give you, like, he has his little Jordans on. He's like, in Georgia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he's four. <laughs> He's four, okay? And, um, and where we live, um, 
right here in the city of Phoenix, there's often like, um, it's about every night, uh, there, there's either uh, murders down the street, people getting shot, there, there's ambulance, there's, there's the hel- you should hear the helicopter every day. Um, and so when I'm in the car with my kids, uh, especially in the morning, and they see the sirens, he's like, he's thinking, he sees, he's like, Daddy, what's that? Oh, I don't know, buddy, someone must be hurt, let's pray for him. My wife's the best at that, and she, act- she actually stops and prays, I just say it, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, he's too young to understand anyway. That, I, but um, and, and it's crazy because it could be like a house on fire. And now, Daddy, what's wrong? Oh, son, it'll be okay. Let's pray for him. He's like, okay, keep singing, Bob. It's like it's no big deal. He's buckled up, just enjoying the ride. And um, he has so much confidence because of who's driving the car, regardless of the fires and chaos around him. What I love about these Christians, it's not that they were exempt from fires and chaos in their community, but it's that they were buckled up and they knew who was driving the car. They knew that in the midst of this junk, in the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of this just, they knew that their father was driving. And they knew that where they were going to find their strength and their peace and comfort was not in this world, but only in the Father. If you place your comfort, if you place your attempt of peace in this world, um, you'll get what you get from this world. But if you place your comfort, your confidence, and your, everything you are in the Father, then you will get heavenly results. So you can place your faith in in your stuff and in this world and you will get fleshly results. Or you can place your faith in your life and everything that you are in the heavenly father and you will taste of heavenly results. But you can't get that from the world. It blows my mind how many Christians are living out in their flesh daily without depending on the spirit and wondering why they're not getting spiritual results. Because if you want spiritual results, you depend on the spirit, not on the flesh. So, they devoted, did I make that clear? <laughs> Themselves to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching during this time? They didn't have this full Bible like we do. All they had were the works of Jesus. And so if you can imagine, they're sitting down hearing this stuff for the first time. Like, he walked on what? He did What? And so they're hearing this, and their mind is just blown, like, oh, this is, this is who we're serving? He defeated death? He's going to come back and get us? You mean that even if we die here on earth, we get to live forever? Like, their minds are blown. We can take that stuff for granted because we hear it all. Their minds are blown. And by the way, I hope that never grows old to you. So they devote themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship. You know what the fellowship was? Uh, this is raw Intimacy. Raw intimacy. And they would come together as a church. Listen, this will blow your mind. And they, they took God's teachings. They saw how great he was, that he was a forgiver, he was a healer, he was a comforter. And from that, the Bible, they would come together with intimacy um, and authenticity. And, and they would probably begin to, to share stuff. Share their sin. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? N- you, can you imagine coming to church and not being ashamed or judged because of what you did or didn't do? 
Do you know the way God had created it? This is going to blow your mind because it's so anti-American church today. They would come in in the intimacy of their fellowship and probably look like this. Hey, uh, I need prayer. My, my marriage is struggling. It's probably about to end in a divorce. Well, let's go a little deeper. Can I go deeper with you? They would probably come in and say, hey, man, sexual morality just has a hold on me. Like, uh, what do I do? I feel worthless. I feel shameful. What do I do? I keep messing up. What do I do? And they're talking and they're praying. They're walking with one another. Or they would come in. Can you imagine? Hey, my identity is all confused, man. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. I don't know. I have these desires and I'm just, I don't know what do I do with this? Can you imagine a community that just embraced and cried together and prayed together? You know what's sad? That sounds foreign, does it? Doesn't it? Because something has happened in the American church where we say, yeah, confess, yes, we live together. But when some, as soon as somebody confesses, we love to shame. We love to pick up our stones and say, hey, we told you to, but I can't believe that you had that sin in your life. So what it teaches us to do is to rather live in isolation and not confess and be free versus living in a Christian community and be shamed and bonded to our sin. Let me say... This church will not function that way. This church will not function that way because there, there are several things that I know for a fact that Jesus is the judge. He is the Lord and Savior, and he died for my sins. Therefore, he gives me my freedom. Nobody else does. They can play the judge, and they can play the gatekeeper, but I'm free. I don't need your permission to be free because of what he's done on the cross. So this church won't function that way. Another thing I know is that there's nothing that you can't tell a God who knows everything about you. You know how freeing it is to just tell him the deepest, darkest secrets and shine some light on that and uproot what's been planted by the enemy? See, the enemy's fight is in the dark. Ours is in the light. The enemy loses in the light. So this Christian community, although different maybe from some of ours today, was authentic. And by the way, we do have those groups in our church. I'm talking about the big C church. For some reason, we love to play this gotcha game. We love when people fail because it makes us feel better about our insecurities and flaws. To the breaking of bread, which was eating uh, probably Chick-fil-A because that's a God's chicken. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, probably the Lord's Supper, they would come together and be reminded of how good God was. But I want you to see, once they devoted themselves to the things of God, uh, people came, remember they had different languages, different class, different everything, came together as the first church. There was a lot of unity in the midst of diversity. This was their devotion. There was a devotion. It all started with this, like devoted, 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 okay? Um, look at what happened. Look at what flows out of verse 42. Verse 43, watch this. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So what do you see? Because there was a devotion in verse 42, they experienced God in a mighty way in verse 43. Because there was a devotion in verse 42, they experienced God in a mighty way in verse 43. A lot of us today in this room would not disagree. We want to experience verse 43. But you can't experience verse 43 without verse 42. Oh, I want God. Yes, I want him. Do what you want. Yes, Father. Yes, yes. But when it comes to devotion, 
and to grinding and to fighting for knowing him more, that, that may be sometimes in question. So um, God used them during this time uh, to do miraculous wonders in front of the people as almost a stamp of approval that these are my people. Okay, and then watch what happens. Uh, verse 44 and 45. So, so you, you see a devotion there for verse 42. You see in verse 43, they experience the power and presence of God. This is all within the small group experience. Verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Uh, you know what I recognize? Um, when people have generous hearts, People who are generous, this is what happened. There's extreme generosity here uh, because, remember, people were coming from different countries. They had nothing. Therefore, Christians stepped up and said, what do you need? We got you. We got what do you need. We'll help you out. You're selling yourself out for Christ. We got you. What I recognize that uh, behind, a biblical, behind biblical generosity is always the move of God. You know God is moving in a powerful way when people begin to be generous with the stuff that they have. Generous people understand that what they have is from God and for God. Generous people understand that what they have is from God and for God. And I can spend a lot of time on this, but with this church, I'm not sure I have to. Let me, let me tell you how amazing you are. Um, we did Thanksgiving for Phoenix and you, this is not a, if you're visiting, I don't want you to think like that pastor is bragging. No, I had nothing to do with this. This is the people sitting around you. Uh, we had a goal of certain X amount of bags. We exceeded that. And we, gave, we fed thousands of families on Thanksgiving because you came through. And then we had Christmas where we had Christmas for Phoenix. Where we passed out toys to families in need in our community and outside of our community. And then you guys exceeded that. It just skyrocketed. Um, just thousands and thousands of toys came through because of you. Some of your companies got together and, and donated financially. Um, there was no doubt God was moving in the midst for people to give like this. Then we gave you one last challenge. We said, hey, we're going to have a December giving challenge where everything over and beyond our general budget will go to local and global missions. By the way, next week you, you will hear kind of a, 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 a general kind of presentation of where that money's going and what's going to be expected of it. Um, this past December, you need to hear this, especially those hundred of you that have been here, those in the chapel, those online, like this church has always been this way and it continues to be this way. This last December's giving is the largest this church has, has given in the last 20 years. You, you, know, you, know what, you know what excites me? Because I know that's an expression in a an expression and a result and fruit of God moving amongst a church. A church with a heart like that, he can do mighty things through. And we have that heart, so I'm proud of you, church. Proud to be your pastor. It, it, it's, it's unreal. And they had that heartbeat. I mean, look, they were selling their possessions, belongings. Why were they doing this? Because they wanted people to know about Jesus and to be redeemed. They were just focused on the main thing, right? People were losing their lives here, and they were on the main thing and, and day by day attending the temple watch this listen to this what would happen I'm beginning to land the plane but I need you to hear this uh, they went to the temple and in their homes here was a format they had a temple they would come to together picture this a bunch of people coming together and so they would come together and they would uh, the new believers in Jesus Christ would come and worship amongst the Jews who didn't know Jesus and they would come and they would begin to witness to people in their own pews and people were getting saved at the temple 
and they would do the same thing in homes. So you see a small group, people are getting saved. You see the corporate gathering, people are getting saved. Which leads me to, to the very last thing um, is, is verse 47. Watch this and we are done. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know what this looks like? Verse 42, a group of people get together. We just want God. Because they were so hungry for God and him. Not God's hand, but God's heart. See, God's hand, when you're hungry for God's hand, it's what can God do for me? When you're hungry for God's heart, it's look at what you have done for me. Big difference. You live differently, you think differently, you function differently. So, um, verse 47, what did they see? There was, there, was, there was this devotion in verse 42. Verse 43, they experienced him in a powerful way. Verse 44 and 45, they had a generous heart to move the mission forward. Verse 46, they kept meeting together and expecting and watching God do great things. Verse 47, people began to get saved left and right like crazy, meaning they no longer have to die and go to hell. They are forgiven and freed from their sin. There's no doubt in my mind in our church, North Phoenix Baptist Church, and let me just share with you, like, to see the way we've been on board, to see what you are doing as a church, the church has grown by almost 3,000 people in five years. That's crazy. And it's not because of anybody but God. And this isn't about today, like, about numbers. No, it's about God and God alone. There's no doubt in my mind that, that you in this room today would not love to experience a verse 47 God where he is doing a mighty work in our presence. You cannot experience verse 47 unless you live out verse 42. If you want to experience verse 47, there must be a devotion from the believers. So let me speak to the Christians first as I'm landing the plane here. Here's what you're leaving on the table and the band's coming up. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's my encouragement to you. If God's design is for us to be in the biblical community, and we've seen that all throughout scripture, and that we know that God works in a mighty way amongst biblical community. There's life transformation. There is sanctification. There is forgiveness. There is confession. There is when you fall, someone's there to pick you up. A lot of great things happen in biblical community. If I have just proven that, do the scriptures, and you are a Christian here today, and you leave here, and you say, great, but I'm not doing anything about that. Uh, you may be saying, yeah, I've, I've tried, and it's not working. I've tried different groups. I would say, um, keep trying and keep pushing, just like we like to try and push for the other things that we want in life. How bad do you want Christ? And, 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 and let me just tell you, uh, sometimes we join connect groups or small groups, be like, uh, let me, listen, it's going to be a bunch of awkward first dates. <laughs> I'm going to push you to join a small group today, no secret. Um, it's going to be a bunch of awkwardness. It just is because the enemy does not want you to join a group and you will find tons of reasons not to. Let's be honest. But if you choose to do that, I still love you, keep coming, uh, whatever, I love you. This is not a shame moment. What I don't want you to leave on the table, if verses 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47 are true, and there's life transformation, there's experiencing his grace and presence and power, and that's through a small group or connect group with other biblical community, I don't want you to leave that on the table. And when you forfeit to live in God's design, you leave that on the table. When you live outside of God's 
designed for community, you leave that on the table. That's for the Christians in here. If you're in here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, let me share with you what took place right before this took place. This is not your first step if you don't know Jesus. Let me tell you what took place. Peter gets in front of a bunch of people and he begins to tell them about how Jesus came and he, he used Old Testament prophecy and Jesus fulfilled the prophecy and Jesus came and it was all of them who hung him on a cross for their sin and Jesus, he, he died on the cross and was the atonement for our sins so that we can receive forgiveness from the Father and that Jesus defeated death and he rose again and so they're hearing this for the first time. They're hearing that they are sinners in need of a savior. And they're hearing this for the first time and they're saying, listen, Jesus defeated death and Jesus is coming back and Peter's preaching. And they're probably like, what? When is he coming back? Oh no, I'm a sinner. I'm not, I don't have it together. What do I do? And that's what they ask. In verse 37 in Acts chapter two. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Meaning they heard there's a heaven and there's a hell. And, and what gets you from here to here is faith in Jesus. And so they're listening like, oh, what do I do? They were cut to the heart because they recognized that, that they didn't have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They were probably thinking if we were to leave here and die and I don't know Jesus and you're telling me I'm going to hell forever, what do I do then? Because I don't want that to happen. And there's no other clear way to put it. He was speaking to a big group of people Many were cut to the heart because they didn't know what to do. And Peter said, repent, repent. What does that mean? Acknowledge you are broken. Acknowledge the way you're living is not right. And acknowledge you need Jesus to forgive you. That's what repent means. Turn from your sins. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Watch this. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what does this mean? What, what, what does this mean? Well, for those of you who are Christians... Uh, if you neglect God's design, you get what you get. You, you don't get to experience that fullness according to Acts 2. If you're here today and, and, and you leave and you're not sure that if you die that, that you would go to heaven because you're not sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, true Lord and Savior. I don't mean just Savior that he gave you a, a get out of hell free card. I mean uh, Savior that he saved you and Lord that you will submit to him as your Lord in life. And so... Um, so if you're in here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, let me tell you what you leave on the table. If you walk out of here and you choose not to receive him as your Lord and Savior and see your need, you lose the gift of the Holy Spirit on the table. That's what scripture says. Because when you receive him, you receive the gift. Why is that important? Let me sum this up. When I was a kid, um, my grandmother in August, right before school started, would take me to get clothes and shoes. We didn't have much money, so we'd get a layaway plan. Anybody ever heard of a layaway plan? Both of us have heard of the layaway plan. <laughs> and so my grandma would get these clothes, and, and, and I'd get um, a brand of shoes that were like um, fake Jordans. They were called XJ900s. Um, instead of one guy dunking, there was two dunking on each other. <laughs> it's just like a bootleg version. <laughs> but it's all we can afford. And I was happy, all right? And so my grandma and I'd watch her. We'd go to the bank and she'd pull out a couple hundred dollars and she'd go um, to this place and oh, there's all my clothes right there and she would give a hundred bucks and she would give them a hundred bucks uh, to let them know that, hey, in about a month or so, I'm going to come back and get this. So this is a, a purchase for now until I come back and, and get it. 
And so then we would wait, and she would pay little payments, and we would wait, and we'd go back, and I'd be so excited to get my XJ900s, not knowing they were fake Jordans. I thought they were the real thing. But I was so excited that my clothes were still there. And it was waiting on me, and I couldn't wait to put them on. She would put a, a down payment um, on my, my, my stuff. And, and so when the Scripture talks about this gift of the Holy Spirit, what God has done through his son dying on the cross has put a down payment on us through the Holy Spirit, and he's placed the Holy Spirit in us when we receive Jesus Christ so that when Jesus comes back for the second time, he will look at those who have received him as their Lord and Savior. He will look at those and see who has the Holy Spirit and say, oh, that one was on layway, that one's mine. Oh, that one uh, has, has been lost, now he is found. Oh, you right here, you are now mine because my son, has put you on layway and has made the deposit so when God the Father comes back he takes them with him but it only works it only counts it only matters if you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the deposit of the Holy Spirit is there it's there that when Jesus comes back you can just see these are my children I see the deposit of the Holy Spirit you could think that you were just nothing more than an XJ900 He wants you. Some of you won't like this because our legalism won't allow for it. But let me break this legalism. Our God is so good. And when he puts a deposit on you, there's guaranteed return. Our God is so good that when he puts a deposit on you, you can be in the middle of your worst moment when he comes back. And he would still take you because of what the son has done for you. So I'm not justifying your sin and your brokenness, but you have to know today that we serve a God who has given us this gift, but it's only a gift if we receive it with the understanding that we are sinners in need of a savior. Don't leave that gift on the table. Don't leave it on the table. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And just like Peter did, I'm just like Peter did, just like Peter did, 3,000 were saved because they were cut to the heart and they recognized that they needed Jesus. Listen, if you are here today, man, do not leave this place leaving the gift on the table. And I'm going to ask everyone just to stay still and please don't move during this moment. Please, please, please. If people are going to go from death to life, please do not move. Listen, if you are here today, and just like these people in Acts chapter 2 experienced that, and you are here today, and you're saying, man, I don't want to leave the gift on the table. I've never surrendered fully my life to Jesus. I've been coming to church, but I've never surrendered. I don't know that if I die, I'm going to heaven forever. Man, let them let slip that deposit on you. If you're here today and that's you, we just raise your hand all across the room. Said, I want Jesus, amen, right here in the front. Anybody else all across this room, amen, right here. Hands are going up, amen, I knew they would, amen. Keep your hands up, amen, amen. Keep your hands up, amen, amen, amen. There are a whole bunch of you. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them going up, all on the balcony, all down here. Amen, I see you over here. Now, those of you with your hands raised, just look at me. I just want you, everybody else close your eyes. Those with their hand raised, only look at me. I just want to talk to you. Y'all mean, you mean that over here? Y'all mean that? You're sitting next to each other. Do you mean that? Where else? Raise your hand high. You mean that? Where else? There were tons of you. Where else? Where else? Over here. Y'all mean that? Y'all mean that? Y'all mean that? Here's what I want you to do. We're going to stand together, and we're going to sing when we all get to heaven. You're going to sing because I don't know the words. 
And, and now, church, I just want you to stand. Here's what I want you to do. No one, please leave in this moment. I want those of you that have raised your hands, the hardest decision you'll probably ever make in your life. But I, I just want you, I want you to, they're going to have pastors up here. Our pastors are coming up right now. You can go ahead and stay in church so they're not alone. And I just want you to come to a pastor and say, I want Jesus. That's it. Those of you who raise your hands. And typically it takes one of you to move for the rest to follow. Who's going to be that bold soul to move and say, I want Jesus in my life today? Who is it going to be today? Who is it going to be? It's going to take one of you. Brother over there. you go. Come on, my man. Come on. Who's going to follow? Come on, my man. Who's going to follow? Come on. There you go. There you go. Come on. Keep on coming. Come right up here. Come right up here. Keep coming. Come on. Come on. Come on, church. Come on. There you go. Come on. Come on. Who else? Up in the balcony. We'll wait for you. Who else? Come on, church. Keep clapping for them. Let them know they're welcome. Those of you over here, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Who else? Who else? Come on, who else? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song together when we all get to heaven. As we're singing, our pastors will still be up here. If that is you, I just want you to come forward. Granger, I want you to lead them over here and just pray for them. Here's what happens next. We pray for them. Then we help them to get plugged into a biblical community. And so, Granger, will you lead them right this way? There's, come on, they're still coming. Come on. Hey, the rest of the pastors, some of you pastors stay up here. We're going to sing this song together. You'll have pastors up here. If that is you and you want Jesus, come on. Come on, let's sing together. <laughs>